0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, joined by a couple of esteemed colleagues from Football Outsiders and Edge Sports. We've got Derek Klassen, my normal Tuesday co-host for the Waiver Wire Show, joining today to add some more scouting perspective for our fantasy preview. And then we have Chris Spaggs at Edge Sports. He also co-hosts the Splash Play show and podcast as we are expanding all of our content. You can still find all of the Football Outsiders stuff Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, But now primarily on YouTube at the Football Outsiders page, but also still live on twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders, still available after the fact on both YouTube and the Football Outsiders podcast network. Uh, Guys, how's it going? (laughs) Excited to preview a little uh, fantasy action this weekend, right?
1: I am excited to be here. I always am watching the waiver Wire show with you and Derek. Derek, one of my favorite guys since I first started here, watched you guys doing the mock draft show, really enjoyed Derek's <laughs> takes. And honestly, I think he worked the room and you with you guys doing that one. So I'm proud to be in this company and, and proud of you, Scott, for plugging the YouTube move here. So people, you need to start pandering for likes. That's new. If you're going to be like, hit that like button, subscribe button, smash them, tickle them. You got to give a lot of uh, really aggressive verb choices for everything to do to the like button.
0: I've really been trying to embrace my inner like thirteen year old as I'm getting into the Twitches <laughs> and the other like social media channels. Like, give me another like three or four years and I'll be really ready to go with this stuff.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, first, I mean, first <laughs> of all, thank you, Chris. It's I mean that, that's really an honor. I appreciate that. Uh, the stuff, uh, this stuff we've done here with all the new live shows is, has gone really well. So, um, but I'm excited. I think this is my first time on the Friday show, so a little bit, a little bit of new for me. But uh, I, I've built up a pretty nice rapport here with Scott, so I'm excited. Me too. And I'm going to try to pander to both of these guys with their
0: expert opinions. Derek has more of the scout. Chris is more of the DFS expert. Try to hit on the questions that make the most sense for both of them. Although who knows, it could devolve into all kinds of shenanigans with all three of us previewing these 15 games coming up. We better get started because this may take a while. Uh, first up on Sunday, we have Washington football team against Atlanta Falcons, the game that everyone is dying to watch Sunday at 1 PM in the dome in Atlanta. We'll start with Derek. Have you been encouraged or discouraged by what you've seen from Kyle Pitts start to the season obviously a player we all had a ton of optimism about coming in as the number four pick um but i would say kind of averaged a smaller amount of work than maybe we expected 5.7 targets 46 yards per game hasn't scored a touchdown but getting more targets getting more you know snaps and stuff on the field what are your thoughts on him so far
2: I mean, from a fantasy perspective, I think it's hard to make the argument that he's been everything we wanted him to be. But I think on the field, as like a real football player, I think he he looks like the guy they drafted him to be. Um, he's done really well as a blocker, which I think, you know, coming into the league, people are like, oh, you should just move him to receiver. But it's like part of his value is that you can put him on the line yeah. and he's a really good blocker. And I think he's done a decent job of that. Um the, the problem with his targets is that I don't think they're using him very well. I think they're using him on like a lot of two and three man like zone beaters and stuff where they're having him run a lot more like underneath routes where he's running like a whip or, you know, he's running like the shallow and stuff underneath where I think they need to try to do a little bit better job of using him maybe closer to like Travis Kelsey, where if you're going to have him out at receiver, you do a lot of the three by one stuff where he's kind of isolated all by himself. Or if he's going to be in line, they get him on a lot more crossers and, And stuff over the middle where I just don't think they're using him in that intermediate area the way that they should be. So I'm hoping they can find their identity as an offense a little bit better because they're trying to get him into the lineup. His snap count has gone up like 10% each week, but Mm -hmm. the way that they're using him just doesn't really make sense with actually getting him the ball.
0: Yeah, the snap shares have gone from 68% week one to 79% week two to 84% last week. So to me, I definitely take that as a sign that the fantasy, t- the, the tide is about to change. But you were talking about this with the blocking side of this, but is it possible that he's just too versatile for the team right now? By which I mean, they don't really have any kind of complimentary receivers. Russell Gage missed last week. Is, do they not have anybody to run the type of routes that he might do best, but they're kind of using him in other ways because what else are they going to do?
2: I mean, I think that could be part of it because obviously Calvin Ridley is a fantastic player and he's a really good number one wide receiver. But other than him, they don't really have anybody like I think Olamide Zacchaeus has played like half of their snaps, which is just outrageous to me that he is getting that many snaps for any NFL team. And I think there are mm-hmm. other guys like Christian Blake, who is not very good. Russell Gage is like, OK, but you probably need another guy who's who's taking off some pressure at wide receiver rather than him. So I think that's a good point that they just don't have enough wide receiver talent to do what they want with him out wide, I think is part of the problem. Um, So and then they also have other decent tight ends. So it's not like they need to pigeonhole yeah. him at the Y. So I think to your point, it's kind of like he does fill in for a lot of things for them, but they don't actually have all the other players to to make this offense fit together the way it probably should.
0: Yeah, weirdly, the biggest fantasy beneficiary so far has been Cordarell Patterson, which would not have been high on my list during the season. <laughs> and I do think he's actually a viable DFS play. I mean, he's getting enough workload. It's kind of like a Naeem Hines last year type of thing. But Chris, I'm going back to the Mike Davis well as my favorite DFS play from this game this week, just $5,400 in FanDuel. I think that's more than $1,000 underpriced. And while the production hasn't been there, I think the signs are still there that this could turn around. 54.5% carry shares, 15th at the position. 14.5% target share is seventh. He hasn't scored, but has 1.7 expected rushing and receiving touchdowns, giving him the third biggest shortfall in touchdown luck. Do you, are you still with me? I know you were big on Davis entering the year.
1: Honestly, he's crushed my spirit so many times in these early <laughs> parts of the season. That Philadelphia game in particular to start it off was just yeah. tough with him. Getting the early work looking good. And then just sort of really the last few weeks, I think Cordell Patterson has been as important of a part, getting touches more when he's actually out on the field. So True. I'm with you on the take that Patterson's intriguing. I do think if you look at DVOA, it's hard to ignore Mike Davis. You're going against a Washington team that's allowing 33 more percent production, 33% more production rather, uh, according to DVOA, in the run game and you have to assume if, you know, if Atlanta can get a lead, that's something that should allow Mike Davis to get there. The issue for me is I think Terry McLaurin's in a really good spot on the other side. He's going against yeah. a team that does play a lot of zone. McLaurin himself has smashed against his zone this year, getting almost 3 yards per route run there. So that's something that worries me when you have these kind of explosive spots for Terry McLaurin the guy who suffers is Mike Davis and he is getting targeted in some of the come from behind kind of situations that Atlanta gets into time and time again. So maybe he can get there, but I think it's a spot where the game script offers some risk. And at this point with what we've seen from Mike Davis, like I fully get why people would want to go Cordell Patterson's way, even though I think there is going to be a week here that Mike Davis explodes. And, and Scott, you know, as well as anybody, like when that week happens, you can victory lap it, pretend you were right from the jump (laughs) all all year long.
0: Well, I do have Patterson as a value this week too. So like, I'm I'm just going to straddle the fence as hard as possible here. Uh, We've got a question on YouTube TV from Josh Shammell, but I'm going to come back to it when we get to the Bears game where I think that makes the most sense. For now, let's jump to the Texans at Bills. Sunday, 1 p.m. in Buffalo. Uh, Not too bad weather-wise, 63 degrees, but 72% chance of rain. I know it didn't rain last week the way we thought it might, but that could be a factor this week. There's a couple of storylines here that I want to hit on. Chris, I'll start with you. Who do you prefer in fantasy now, Zach Moss or Devin Singletary? Obviously, the sort of tides of that have changed a little bit as Moss has played more as the season has gone along so far.
1: I think the thing that jumps out for me for Moss is really, you know, the price tag is a little more expensive, but the touchdown equity has been there going back to last year where we saw Singletary out there for a large portion of snaps, but they would bring in Zach Moss and give him some Mm -hmm. short kind of passes to get into the end zone, give him some easy goal line touches that for whatever reason, Singletary doesn't get. So he kind of has to earn those touchdowns by breaking long runs, things that are just going to be a little more, you know, just hard to come by. So I would favor Zach Moss. I don't think it's a strong take. I do think, you know, if you're kind of getting some exposure to this, this team overall, um, in DFS. It's a wise move given the gigantic spread and our edge sports line is only at minus 13, but even that's, you know, putting down a pretty much a beating coming Houston's way. So in the spot, I think having exposure to one of the guys is definitely going to be the move I would favor Moss. But given how this backfield is run, like I think it's perfectly mm-hmm. reasonable to have a little bit of muscle, but a little bit of single tire, if you are maxing out, let's say a 20 max or one of the big yeah. tournaments, even where you are putting in 150 lineups.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that it's closer than people probably think after Moss scored three touchdowns the last three weeks. To me, there's a luck component to the scoring that that makes it not as one-sided as you would expect. Moss, 8.1 expected, but eight actual rushing plus receiving touchdowns since the start of last year. Singletary, seven expected, but just three actual. Skill sets probably are involved, but clearly the Bills aren't using Moss as the only red zone option. Some of us receiving, some of us rushing, et cetera. But I think it's close. All right, for you, Derek, what about Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley? Sanders coming off the two-touchdown game, is it kind of a similar situation here with the receivers?
2: Yes, um, because I think, you know, with the two running backs, you get, like, Zach Moss is a lot more of a consistent guy, whereas I think Singletary is a little bit more of your explosive, you know, trying to get those chunk gains and stuff, whereas I think that's kind of what you see with these two receivers. Cole Beasley is really good in the underneath area. He's really good at sifting through zones. Um, he's pretty good at getting, like, a couple of extra yards Um was some moves after the catch. The difference is Emmanuel Sanders can also do a little bit of that. He's not as good as Cole Beasley in that area, but he's a lot better at stretching the field than Cole Beasley's. And I think that's why his um, usage in the offense has kind of elevated that, uh, elevated over Cole Beasley a little bit, um, just because I think he offers a little bit more and he can do a little bit more for the offense. I mean, you even saw in that Washington game, when they were trying to get you know two and three guys vertical, maybe running switch verticals or running Mills concepts and, and trying to get guys on posts and stuff, that was Sanders that they were using. And, and yeah. even like deep over routes and stuff, that was Sanders. That wasn't as much Cole Beasley. And I think because he offers more of that field stretching while still being pretty serviceable in the underneath area, I think that makes him overall a more valuable play. He's probably not going to get as many targets um, just because he's not being used in that underneath area as much where they can just quick check it down. And stuff like that. But I think the explosive potential there, like you saw in that Washington game is just so much higher. And I think as this offense gets comfortable, that's going to continue to show itself. I'm actually
0: warming to the idea that there might be three receivers on this team that are valuable in fantasy, uh, but the target thing is still kind of what I'm clinging to at least for now. Maybe Sanders will see his increase over time, but so far S- Sanders 16.3% target share versus 24.4% for Beasley, which why with Beasley also costing just 5,900 in FanDuel, I think Beasley's a really great DFS play this week. One of just 10 wide receivers with 10 or more targets and three games played so far this season and quirky nugget here about the potential for rain In rain, number one receivers see their target shares or total target volume, I guess, decrease by 29%. Number two, 11%. But slot receivers, just a 9% decrease. Obviously, you could see more running. There could be a big lead for the Bills here. But the slot targets, those are easier completions. They may make a little bit more sense in inclement weather. So I think that's another reason that Beasley may be the guy that I would go after there, just for this week specifically. All right, next up, we have the Lions at the Bears, Sunday 1 p.m. in Chicago. Another game with some chances of rain here, 67%. And Derek, we talked about this a little bit in the waiver wire uh, column or in a a Twitch show last last Tuesday, but I want to give you a chance again. What do you think is the fallout from Justin Fields' poor week three start? You're a huge Fields guy. I think you think it was maybe a crime the way that he was used this week.
2: Yeah, I think last week was such a weird aberration for a number of reasons. Uh, I mean, one, the game plan wasn't very good. Um, I think they didn't do it. It seemed like they were calling this like, you know, quick open style offense that was for Andy Dalton. And I even said on the show last week, like Andy Dalton's going to be better pre-snap and, and better at throwing yeah. a quick game because that's just who he is. And that's not who Justin Fields is. And that doesn't, that's not like an indictment of Justin Fields, but he's just more of a guy who wants to hold the ball, um, play action stuff, attack the intermediate areas, have more max protection stuff. And they didn't do as much of that added max protection stuff. And then even when they did it, they just weren't blocking it well. Like their chip guys weren't very effective. Miles Garrett was still getting pressure on every play. So yeah. it was this really horrible blend of personnel and game plan. Um, The good news is this Detroit Lions defense is significantly worse than Cleveland's, um, particularly up front. Yeah. That Lions front does not get pressure very well and they don't bring pressures very much. You know, they're not a team that likes to blitz a ton. They're probably about average or below average in that regard. So I think this is, a decent matchup for fields to get a better chance to, to actually play football and hopefully they can protect him better both from a game plan standpoint and from just a personnel standpoint um the personnel one i feel pretty good about just because again this lion's front is not as talented yeah. We'll see how much Matt Nagy can actually do, but I'm not very confident in that respect.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm fascinated by this. I think obviously the Lions are a great matchup, but I think what you're saying about the pressure side of thing is the most important because again, Fields took nine sacks last week, but I'm projecting the Browns as the number two team in projected sacks per pass attempt. So that may have been the worst possible team to face. And I'm thinking that maybe with the Lions things will be better. And honestly, Fields is like kind of an intriguing lottery ticket to me from like a DFS perspective or something, but I'm not sure. Not sure I can pull the trigger. I will point out that Allen Robinson, I have just 37th among wide receivers in PPR formats, so you know that's. I want to see better from Fields or see Dalton as the quarterback again before I'm ready to trust him. But I will say that David Montgomery at 5800 in DraftKings I think is a modest value at $600 underpriced. Uh, I was concerned in the early season about the target volume because week one, just one target versus five for Damian Williams, his new backup. But since they've been tied with eight targets apiece and joining, you know, a a top 12 um, type of of carry share, I think that that's good. I think the Lions are a good matchup. They increased run plays and yards per carry and touchdowns per carry. So a lot of things positive there. Chris, let's answer that question from from the YouTube comment. Do I trade Montgomery and A.J. Brown for, for DeAndre Swift and Kenny Galladay? Before today, I w- or before this last week, I would have said that Montgomery maybe not as valuable as I expected, but now I kind of like him again. AJ Brown week to week, but probably won't be gone too long. What do you think Montgomery puts Brown for Swift and Galladay?
1: I mean, I think you look at the numbers for Montgomery and he's always been a guy that's been a really big part of the offense. But I think like Derek was saying and and you were saying as well, Scott, like I think if Justin Fields starts to get the game go a little more his way, like in college, he was a guy that was getting the ball deep downfield was also taking a lot of runs off the table. I think those are things that are not great for David Montgomery, losing some of those check downs and and also like his yardage for, you know, his yardage share on the team really is just unsustainable. He's right now putting up about 44% of the team's yards. DeAndre Swift, it feels like it's more sustainable because he's getting a large portion of the targets, getting the run game work also being a lot more effective. So I think I would take the trade. It's tough to give up on AJ Brown, just given how bad he's look. feels like you're selling low there. But mm. um, I'm not a big believer in Kenny Galladay. But I think really to me, if you get that as a Montgomery for Swift swap primarily, like that would be the way I would try to do it. I don't know if anybody would actually want to do that one, but I think to me, Swift is definitely the guy I'd want for the rest of the season, a little bit more than David Montgomery.
0: Yeah. And with that theory, I would say the shallower the league, the more inclined I might be to do it because that the shallow leagues are the ones where you want the best possible player in the deal, which Swift, I think probably is if you assume that AJ Brown's going to miss a little bit of time, and then you can probably figure out something else to do at wide receiver if it doesn't work out. Yeah. All right. Next up, Carolina Panthers or Dallas Cowboys. This game is critical for me because I bet Mike Tanier of football outsiders that the Panthers would win straight up. And if I lose, I have to wear a fedora on this show and I don't <laughs> want to do that. So I'm really hopeful that the Panthers can pull this one out. And a lot of that may rest on rookie running back Chuba Hubbard. Um, the question for you, Chris, is Is he going to be a bell cow back with Christian McCaffrey sidelines, kind of like Mike Davis was for the team last year when he averaged 15.3 PPR points per game when McCaffrey missed time? What are your thoughts on Hubbard?
1: I think you got to trust Chuba here. I mean, he's going to get the workload. It would be nice if he saw for DFS his price be a little bit lower, given the fact that mm. he really hasn't proved anything. And I think if his price were lower, we'd be looking at him being one of the most you know high-owned plays of the slate really anywhere you would go. In yeah. fact he's going to be under 10% owned in a spot against Dallas where we know they're pretty weak. And they did have kind of that dead cat bounce going against Philadelphia this week where the defense looked a little more sound. But overall, to me, I just don't think it's a strong team. And this workload, you're right, like their year-to-year, we saw it with Mike Davis last year. I think they clearly have some faith in Chuba. Um, I don't, I'm not afraid of anybody else behind him taking touches. I know there's been some uh, talk out there bandied around about Royce Freeman maybe taking some work. I just don't think you can worry about that. Uh, Chuba better pass catcher. A guy can sort of do that. Fractional amount of McCaffrey. The risk is just, is he going to get enough of that fractional amount of the role to justify the price tag? If you're 4K on DraftKings, you can just kind of take that dive blindly. Yeah. At almost 6K, it's a little bit tougher. So I'd be willing to play some, but I do think to me, the guy that I would look at the most on this team is DJ Moore. And especially especially if that ownership for Chuba went up, like then you play DJ Moore, just get that leverage.
0: See, that's interesting. I do think of Hubbard as being one of my, my favorite DFS values for the game. Um, I think he's about a thousand underpriced, even at 5,900 in DraftKings, but I recognize that that's a bit of projecting on my part that he's going to dominate the backfield and touches. As you mentioned, as the receiving guy, he did out target Royce Freeman last week, five to one after McCaffrey left. So I like that he had an 8.3% receiving ratio at college, but like all the metrics love him too. Like it, it's, it's not that he has any elite skill. It's more that he's a plus contributor in every aspect. 8, 40 time is pretty good. 61210. Seems like he could probably withstand a heavy workload. He had one at Oklahoma state. He was actually the number three back in back cast football outsiders um, projection system for for college running backs behind just Najee Harris and Travis Etienne both first round picks So I think there's some reasons to be excited here um, But part of it too is just that I feel like the Dallas matchup being in the dome is going to benefit him and benefit a lot of the Panthers um, So t- to me, I think that that a lot of those guys are options for you this week It may, it may just be really more of a game theory question about who you want to roll with and um, Let's add a little bit more context to Josh's question a second ago. He mentions he's stacked at receiver with uh, Cooper Cup, Stephon Diggs, Tyler Lockett, and and, uh, I don't know which Williams. I'll say maybe Mike Williams. So, yeah, definitely not Tyrell
1: would be my my thought. (laughs) Probably not
0: Tyrell. (laughs) Uh, Go ahead and trade for Swift, if that's the case, because you're good to go there. All right, next up, Colts at Dolphins, uh, 1 p.m. Sunday in Miami, ninety or 85 degrees with a little bit of wind, but not too big of a deal. Uh, Derek, are you discouraged by what you've seen from Jonathan Taylor's slow start to this season? Hasn't scored a touchdown yet, and obviously, you know, Carson Wentz maybe hasn't been as big a rebounder as we would have hoped, rejoining his old play caller uh, in Indianapolis.
2: Yes and no. Um, the The offensive line has actually been blocking pretty well, and I think Taylor's problem to this point is that he's just not generating any explosives for himself I think he's Mm -hmm. done a decent job bringing some of the high floor stuff which is it which is kind of what they drafted him for but some of the explosive plays just haven't quite been there yet and I think at some point they're going to come but it's such a small sample that I think he's kind of just gotten a little bit unfortunate in that regard and I think also what's hurting him is the Colts red zone offense has been particularly bad this year I think they're um, third lowest in DVOA right now which is just Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's something that's going to hold um they they might only get to average or whatever but even if they do that Taylor's obviously going to be the one who's getting a lot of those chances to to punch in touchdowns so I think especially like when you look at the Rams game the way that that turned out was just so it's probably hurting their numbers a lot and really hurting um Taylor's opportunities in that (laughs) in that respect so I think I expect some of that stuff to even out not that he's going to suddenly burst into being the best running back in the league again or whatever but I think he's going to to start getting um, a little bit better, especially assuming if at some point Carson Wentz can play a few healthy games in a row.
0: So Taylor has zero actual touchdowns, but 3.5 expected rushing plus receiving touchdowns. That 3.5 touchdown shortfall is double any other running back in the league. And like expected touchdowns are talking about like where you're seeing your carries, where you're getting your targets. And if there's bad run blocking, it's not that surprising that a back would fall a little bit short. I think that has been a problem. I think he's taken maybe six carries inside the five yard line and hasn't scored on any of them, obviously. So like, there's more than just bad luck at play here. But by and large, that ends up being a much better predictor of future scoring than actual scoring. And as such, I think the bounce back is coming, especially too, if what you're saying is true, Derek, that the Colts, you know, the the run blocking is going to improve going forward. So I'm very bullish. I would trade for him in any league. I don't think that Marlon Mack being traded or not traded moves the needle for me. I, I just think that Taylor is a bad luck guy more than anything else. Uh, that being said, Miles Gaskin on the other side of things is the player that I think is a great DFS value. 5,500 in FanDuel this week. I think it's $800 under price to me. Like if you look at the full season, 38% carry share is just 35th among running backs. Doesn't seem great, but the third running back on the team, Salvin Ahmed, went from a 31% snap share and six carries in week two to 6% and zero in week three. I'm wondering if Gaskin is maybe kind of wrestling hold of the committee a little bit. What do you think about that, Chris?
1: I worry a little bit about Malcolm Brown taking some of the red zone and goal line yeah. work away. He's got 1.3 red zone touches compared to Gaskin having 0. 0.3 so far per game. Obviously it's a small sample size, so that's kind of going to be what it is, but 0. 0.7 within the five compared to zero for Gaskin. That's not great either. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think benefits Gaskin here, Scott, and I think why I'm willing to kind of ride with you a little bit on this is that I think this is a bad spot for Indianapolis with just Miami blitzing at such a high rate. They're blitzing at the highest rate in the league at 40%. Yeah. You know, they're going against uh, Carson Wentz, who's got the highest pressure rate in the league, getting pressure in 47% of his dropbacks, and that's something to me that can be a recipe given you know we know it's a new team we know it's a coach mm-hmm. that clearly has some faith and knows Carson about as well as anybody but we know how that went last year with him getting really <laughs> deluged by pressure and yeah. I think it's something where Miami could take advantage so in that spot again another game script thing Miami does take advantage you're going to see can get the ball you could see him be relied on early they don't have to press the ball downfield I think they know what they have with Jacoby Brissett which is kind of a game manager guy You can be a little bit mobile can take some shots but is not going to really win Mm -hmm. you games with his arm. So in this spot, I think it kind of makes sense from a game perspective and it makes sense really, you know, just relying on Indianapolis to be bad. And I also think that our edge sports line kind of backs that out. We do have Miami as being a three-point favorite here compared to just a two-point favorite with the books. So that's something that could favor the run game and certainly Gaskin could be the biggest beneficiary.
0: Got a couple more questions coming in on the chat. Uh, Again, we are on YouTube live right now on the Football Outsiders page. Join us every Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time there or, or still on Twitch, wherever you prefer. Um, but we'll get to those questions coming up where they make sense with the games we're previewing. Next up, we have the Browns at Vikings Sunday, 1 PM in the dome in Minnesota, uh, for Chris again, could Kirk Cousins be a top 10 quarterback this season? This kind of blew my mind, but I unearthed the stat that since Jeff, Justin Jefferson became a starter in week three last year, Cousins has thrown for 4,808 yards, 41 touchdowns and nine interceptions in 17 games possibly a preview of what his final year line could be this year. Uh, But am I being a little bit too optimistic there? What do you think of Cousins right now?
1: I think the recipe is there. I mean, we've seen Minnesota get into these kind of shootout game scripts over and over again as well, because their defense is not performing that well. Overall DVOA backs it out. They're giving up a 13% boost across the board. Also giving a 2.5% boost in terms of passing DVOA. So you're going to see teams throw against them. That's going to make Kirk Cousins throw more. I don't think he's going to hold having no interceptions for the rest of the year. I'll say (laughs) that we know Kirk Cousins. The second, those lights get a little bit brighter. The situation goes (laughs) against them. It can be tough, but adding KJ Osborne, he's going to get Irv Smith back at some point. Like, I've been legitimately impressed by Osborne being in. I think he's part of the reason that Jefferson and Thielen started a little bit slower. We're now seeing Jefferson kind of level out, but I think these guys are a strong wide receiver trio. And then you add in Irv Smith, Tyler Conklin can get healthy as well. Like there's a lot of ways this can work. And that's not even including Dalvin out of the backfield. And he was hurt last week. Madison's a very reasonable approximation for him. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of pathways for this team to be good. It's just, I think going to come down to, are they going to be in the lead? Are they going to be able to rely on Dalvin cook more? Are they going to be trailing? And I think right now the defense is making it perfect for Kirk Cousins to keep doing what he's doing.
0: Yeah, and I don't really know if Dalvin's going to be available this week or not. So to me, before before we know for sure, I'm going to avoid the running game from DFS perspective. Look to the other side with Odell Beckham at 5,800 in DraftKings. I think that's 800 under price. I know it's one week, but he had a 31% target share last week. That's the fifth highest among wide receivers right now. Jarvis Landry is on injured reserve. So for the time being, Beckham is going to be the main guy if he's not going to be anyway. Uh, Plus, you're in the Dome in Minnesota. Love that. Love the fact that the Vikings are the number one increaser of both yards and touchdowns per target for number one wide receivers. Some of the moves they've made at cornerback like Patrick Peterson, uh, they haven't worked out so far. Um, And, you know, I think we saw some signs from their defense, but I still think this is a really nice matchup, and I'm, I'm liking him there all right next up new york giants at at the new orleans saints sunday 1 p.m this game is back in the dome in new orleans first game of the year there and to me that's the main question we'll start with you here derek do you think a return to the superdome could revitalize the saints offense i'm asking i guess mostly from the the winston perspective but i'll throw out these two nuggets one when he was with the buccaneers winston averaged uh, 4.6 more pass attempts per game at home than on the road and two with Drew Brees being sort of the the constant quarterback for the Saints in recent seasons, he averaged four more fantasy points per game at home than on the road for more than a decade. So it's like, this was a really big home field advantage back in the day. Can it be for Winston in the passing offense now?
2: I think probably to some degree, but I also think the idea that domes help quarterbacks is probably more for quarterbacks that don't have the strongest arms. And I think that that was probably true in the most recent seasons with Brees, especially um whereas Winston I don't really think that that's true I think he's a guy who can push the ball down the field consistently he can zip through the wind I don't think that's really a problem for him so I think it still matters a little bit I mean being at home not having to travel is nice um being in the dome is going to help anybody because you know any amount of wind can can be annoying even if you can cut through it so I think it probably helps a little bit but I think the the bigger issue really is personnel I mean if they don't have the guys who can get open down the field it doesn't really matter if you're playing at home in a dome (laughs) In sure. the snow, it doesn't really matter. So, to me, that's the that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, maybe just getting more time in the Sean Payton system. Um, you know, really getting comfortable with what the team wants to do is going to help. But again, I, I'm not too bullish on the dome being really the, the biggest factor here.
0: Okay, couldn't get you there. But what about this as a DFS option? Daniel Jones, $5,800 in DraftKings. I know this sounds crazy, but 30.7% carry share this season is fourth highest among quarterbacks. Chris, it's been a little bit inconsistent. Some games he's run a lot, some games he hasn't. Some zone reads, some whatever. What are your thoughts? Are Are you pulling the trigger on a Jones DFS play, or is that just too risky for your taste?
1: It worries me going against New Orleans. I know there was some expectation they were going to be worse this year, but DVOA is still showing that they are giving a pretty big decrease here, minus 25% overall mm. in terms of the production of a team going against them. And and Daniel Jones, you know, we're looking at probably not having Slayton and Shepard this weekend. So you're going to have Kadarius Tony Colin Johnson out there a little bit more, which, you know, I think those guys are fine players. Like I think they're okay. And and Galladay getting a little more work seems like something that should happen anyway, given what they're paying him. Yeah. But overall, like I don't have the confidence to go that way for sure. I do think that everything is going through. Daniel Jones so I, I think if the Giants kind of rise with the tide that is a bet you could make because if the Giants perform well it's going to come on the back of Daniel Jones I don't think this is really not Saquon Barkley's team anymore it all goes through Daniel Jones he's responsible for 80 percent of their touchdowns including the passing and rushing so and this spots me I get the logic Scott I just if you want to go die on that hill you can go ahead I will probably not be doing that very much <laughs> uh,
0: I don't and I'm not going to die on this next hill either but I am going to ask you in the Titans and New York Jets game that game is in New York The major storyline for me is, can you trust Ryan Tannehill? Uh, He had a bad week one, but his rebound of the last couple of weeks seems like he would have a plus matchup at the Jets, but I'm not so sure. What do you think, Chris?
1: Honestly, the edge sports line, this one worries me a lot. We have the over-under as being a 36 over-under here instead of the 44.5 that's out there on the books. We also have this being a two-point line favoring Tennessee then as opposed to the seven-point line favoring Tennessee uh, with a lot of the books out there. So those things scream to me that this is going to be kind of an ugly one where it's going to be a little slower paced, maybe more of a Derrick Henry spot. And I think you also have the issues too with A.J. Brown banged up, Julio Jones. These guys didn't practice yesterday. I haven't seen the updates on whether they're doing that or not today. But those are things that are not great, like him throwing to Westbrook Keen is not going to be something that is going to be the most viable. You know, even if Anthony Ferguson can get back in, though I think he's also not expected to play, like what is going to be out there somehow Julio and AJ either are out or limited. It's going to be the Derrick Henry show. So I think this is a spot to me where I'm not expecting Tennessee to put it down. I'm expecting them to just really get by by the most narrow margins against the Jets team. That doesn't seem like they want to win. And I know we have pretty highly ranked as their probability to be the number one overall pick right now.
0: We're definitely on the same page here. Very concerned about the personnel out wide. Um, but two, I mean, I'm not even sure it's as good a situation as it would be even with those guys playing. Because one, kind of what you mentioned about how, you know, the Jets, it may end up being a run heavy game playing for the Titans. The Jets do cut pass plays by 3% and increase run plays by 12%, Latter number being fifth highest. Two, Tannehill has averaged 7.3 more fantasy points per game at home than on the road since joining the Titans. That's the highest among current starting quarterbacks. So for my money, he is really a home-only option for you in fantasy. And that ties into a question that we got from No Name on on YouTube. He has an option to give up Cortland Sutton and A.J. Dillon for Dak Prescott, where Ryan Tannehill is his current quarterback starter. And, you know, I I think Sutton is definitely the most valuable player in that trade. And so I'm generally saying that that's probably a bad idea. But I would want to have another quarterback to pair with Tannehill if possible. So I only had to start Tannehill at home and then – ideally also only when a- AJ Brown and Julio Jones were healthy enough to play. So it might depend on what your options are on the waiver wire at quarterback, but I would say no with the idea that hopefully you can get something other than Tannehill for you this week. Uh, Chris, this may be getting a little bit too deep here too, but you mentioned with those guys being hurt, I'm looking maybe at Nick, Nick Westbrook again is like a sleeper type of DFS option, just $3,200 in DraftKings. But I think he's underpriced with the assumption that AJ Brown misses time, but if suddenly Julio misses time too, I think he's the number one receiver. I mean, he had a 78% snap share last week compared to 41% for Chester Rogers, 40% for Cam Batson, and 25% for Racy McMath, which I, I promise you is a real person and not somebody I just made up. So it's like, you know, if this is the number one wide out, are you going to risk him at a $3,200 price tag? That's super inexpensive.
1: Yeah, I think that's more of a cash game play to me, where you could yeah. kind of expect him to get there if you have Julio and AJ Brown being out, where if you know, you're doing it for a cash game, you're trying to target that floor more than the ceiling. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable move. I think the issue, and boy, what just here in this this wide receiver core potentially have Westbrook Akeen and Chester Rogers and, <laughs> and Race McMath working in. Who I think he was more of a tight end in the preseason. Now he's being used as both. Like he's it's a terrible. rookie. I don't
0: mean to make fun of the guy. He may be good. I have no idea.
1: He, he's a big body dude. I know that about yeah. him, but that's about all I know about him, besides the cool name or the fun name i guess would be the better way to put it uh but i don't know like i think you could take the the stab here i just would worry that you're going to be left holding the bag with a guy who's getting two targets for 40 yards and that's not going to do anything for you even at 3200 so I would just say Derrick Henry or Buss for me in this game, or re- really on the Titan side, and maybe you can make a case for some Jets. But this is a Jets team that last week, I don't know if people know this, not a single scorer over 10 fantasy points, which is not good. thats I don't know if you guys know that. If You don't have to be <laughs> an expert to know. Somebody not getting over 10 fantasy points is not a good thing. So Tennessee, Derrick Henry or Buss.
0: Oh, I'm very familiar. I've been riding the Jets in Loser League all season long, which is probably a good opportunity to remind everybody to play Loser League up on Football Outsiders. Really fun game, and if you're an FO Plus subscriber, you get all the projections and the odds and stuff that people may end up getting the penalties, so highly recommend all of that. Uh, Thanks so much for playing. Next up, Kansas City Chiefs at Philadelphia Eagles Sunday 1 p.m. in Philadelphia. Pretty good weather, 75 and clear. Uh, For Derek, should fantasy players be worried that Jalen Hurts might lose his job during the season? Obviously, he's a very good fantasy quarterback in the short term because he runs so much. But I'm just worried that the Eagles may decide to move on from him because of the limitations that he has. And if that happens before fantasy playoff time, that could be really bad news.
2: I think it's on the table um, just because, I mean, Jalen Hurts is such an incomplete quarterback right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his A dot is really high, but to me that feels like a bait kind of in the way that um, early Kirk Cousins dot used to always be really high. And like early Kirk Cousins, it would be like check down, check down, check down, 40 yard bomb down the sideline. It's like okay, but you're ignoring the entire 10 to 20 yard area, and you're not really throwing over the middle of the field. And the offense is really limited in what it can do. And so I think the team is probably frustrated in that regard. And we saw him kind of try to get a little bit more of that work um, in in the Dallas game. You know, especially early on, I think he threw like a deep over that was like okay, he wasn't really doing that earlier this year. But I think right now he's just so limited in what he can do as a passer um, that. the Eagles, it's probably on their mind that they, they want to move on um, at some point, maybe. Um, not that Gardner Minshew is really going to change the fate of this team, but you I think you probably...
0: your tongue, pro-
2: sir. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Gardner Minshew. He's probably a top 32 quarterback, but he's not top 24, and he's not really going to do anything for them. Um, but I, I think it's probably... I don't think you trade for a guy like Minshew without having it in the back of your mind that you might want to play him at some point. So... I would be concerned about that, especially as the year goes on. I think Hertz is at least going to get, you know, probably another month, but yeah. if they don't really win anything and they can't really open up the offense in that time, there's going to be some problems.
0: I'm going to add a little bit more color to what you said, because while, while his dot is higher than you would expect, I think it's trending very low. Like, so last year, 9.0 yard A dot was the third highest. Obviously it wasn't a full year starter, but among the guys that threw about a hundred passes or more this year, it's down to 6.5 yards. So dramatically lower, still not the bottom of the barrel, not quite the Alex Smith range, but kind of what you're saying, it's kind of only just the outside shots. And then the really low depth target passes. That's kind of all you've got. And so in my mind, the big jump from a 52% completion rate last year to 66% this year, it's a little bit of fool's gold. It's kind of like when you used to say, well, Sam Bradford completes a lot of his passes. Like he's, he's fine. Right. Like, I don't think it's a totally fine situation. It is probably a really good way to play with Hurts as quarterback, letting him run as much as we can. But if the, if the Eagles are prioritizing developing quarterbacks for their future and maybe not paying as much attention to this season, I don't really know what they're going to do. And so, like, if I were going to rely on him as my only quarterback going into the fantasy playoffs, that may not be the best situation. You may want to look at guys that give you some upside that maybe you can hit on later in the year if you need to replace him. Guys like Justin Fields that people may be dropping, uh, for instance, may be a good player to pick up to give yourself a little bit of protection there. Uh, Chris, I'm, I'm recommending Clyde Edwards-Alaire as a DFS option. I've kind of been writing it, even though there's a wave of, of people going against him, but he did finally score a touchdown this week and he's still really inexpensive at $5,400 in DraftKings. What do you think? Do you think last week was more of a lucky situation or do you think Edwards-Alaire is more valuable than the public would, would think on their own?
1: I think he's perfectly fine. Like I do think I might be more willing to take a stab to that Buffalo backfield that we talked about a similar price point for DFS just because the game script there looks good. And also our True. edge sports lines kind of pushed me towards thinking this game could be more competitive. We do have this as being only a three point line. The books have it as a seven point line favoring Kansas city. So that's something where we might be expecting the the Eagles to hold serve a little better at home, which could mean positive things for Jalen hurts. It could mean some less positive things uh, for a guy like Clyde Edwards, helaire And one thing that worries me too is also this, this uh, Philadelphia team is really bad against man defense, the running man, 91% of the time and getting strafed by it. And that's the, also the spot where you do see Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey have a lot of their success on the air. So that's something that's kind of in the back of my head where it could be one of those games where we just see chunk plays going at Hill chunk plays going uh, mm-hmm. to Travis Kelsey. And then you don't see Clyde Edwards Hilaire getting the work that he needs to get there. But if you do are, if you are a believer on the Vegas books out there, like, yeah, seven points spread on the road does kind of scream, squeezing the air out of the ball with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So I get it. I think for me though, targeting a shootout seems just a little more appealing from the DF fast side
0: yeah I'm not sure I fully believe this but Edward Solaire is has been one of the more unlucky touchdown scorers since the start of last year eight expected versus five rushing touchdowns 3.0 shortfall so I'm like part of me thinks that there's there's some luck that's going to even out but I'm worried too that Eventually that the chiefs and Andy Reid are going to get frustrated and like maybe use a little bit more Daryl Williams near the goal line that type of stuff. But at least Edward Solaire has a 61% carry share that's something that none of the bills backs can can claim and so in that sense, I do think it's a it's a reasonable option for you. Alright, let's move over to the 4pm window we've got the Cardinals and Rams for starters really fun game 405 Eastern uh, in the Dome in Los Angeles for Chris. I know this sounds a little bit crazy, but would you consider benching a wide receiver as good as DeAndre Hopkins because of the Jalen Ramsey matchup?
1: Man, that's an interesting question because I think you can make the case. I think we saw what the case was last week where they now have enough weapons where they don't have to go to Hopkins. Yeah. And you also look at our edge sports line for this one. That's um, so incredibly high, I guess, for um, really the books out there. We have it as a 43 point line. So I think that is screaming that maybe this could be more of a defensive matchup uh, than a lot of the field will be playing it. So I think when you combine those two factors, mm-hmm. I'm willing to go on that side here and just say like, yeah, maybe you take Hopkins. You don't take him out of the player pool entirely, but if you're you know trying to get to him at all, cap it at 5%, just get a lesser amount because I agree there's a risk profile and I think Hopkins, they just don't need him like they did last year where you do have a lot of weapons. Like Rondale Moore, I think clearly deserves more run based on what he's done so far, but it's hard for him to find a pathway there because all these guys Mm -hmm. are playing good. Even AJ Green is looking much less washed up than he looked last year with Joe Burrow thrown to him. So I think there's something to, to note with that. And I think for me, you know, if you want to believe in Hopkins, I'm not going to fault you for it, but I think there's a lot of things that we're seeing with the data that maybe me worry. This game is just not going to be the scoring delight that it seems like the ownership from the field and DFS is going to have this weekend.
0: Yeah. And I think the Cardinals may find some other options, but like, I just don't know if Hopkins is going to be the guy this week specifically one after getting traded Arizona last year, he faced Ramsey twice had 52 and 35 receiving yards. Ramsey in general allowed just 4.7 yards per target last year, which is like insanely low for a guy getting up those number one wide receivers every week. To me, he's clearly the best cornerback in football plus Kyler Murray averaged 4.6 more fantasy points per game at home than on the road in his career. I think a lot of that's dome related and this will be in a dome. So like maybe that's a little bit overstating things, but it's enough for me to bump Hopkins down to 17th among wide receivers in PPR formats, which is way lower than he would normally be. And so I'm not benching him in traditional formats, Clearly, but I think in DFS, he's probably not the way to go. Glad you brought up Rondale Moore because we have a question from the YouTube chat. Should a guy trade Rob Gronkowski and Rondale Moore for George Kittle? For me, the context is really important here because like Kittle is much more valuable in a PPR format. But I think Gronk could score like five or six more touchdowns than Kittle over the rest of the season, the way that their teams use them in the red zone. But maybe Rondale Moore is a, a piece of this equation. Derek, like what are your thoughts here?
2: Uh, I mean, I think I've said it on on the show before, but like Rondell Moore to me just feels like such a hit or miss proposition, not necessarily in like his quality of play, just, you know, kind of like Chris was mentioning, in the way that this this, uh, Arizona Cardinals room is constructed, Mm -hmm. they don't have to go to any one guy for any particular reason. Like they have so many different guys that can do different things. And they're really just playing matchup football. Like they don't even really have an offensive like system. It's not really cohesive. They're like this grab bag offense that can pull out any trick that they want in any given week. And so some weeks that's going to be Rondell Moore and he's going to get, you know, the 100 yard games that he has. But like I said before, there's probably going to be games where Rondell Moore only gets like two touches because they just don't need him in that in that capacity. So I think if you, you know, I I don't know, Rondell Moore to me, if you're you're giving him up, if you're giving him up, that might be okay If you have other stability at wide receiver, that would probably be be my angle for this.
0: Well, I mean you're saying it's basically a Gronk versus Kittle is the primary consideration of this trade. And so to me it does depend, are you in PPR or are you not? Because that I think that's gonna 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 seal the deal for you there. Mm-hmm. Um I'll sneak into that my favorite DFS play this week, really going on a limb here to say it's Cooper Cup. Yeah, he's he's 7800 in DraftKings, so his price is slowly climbing up. But to me, he's the number two wide receiver in fantasy football right now. His 36% target share, is third highest among receivers, just behind Brandon Cooks and Devontae Adams that aren't very high above him. Plus, you have a much better quarterback than Brandon Cooks does. So I love him. Love those 11.3 targets per game. Uh, Why don't we just move on? Seahawks at 49ers, Sunday 4 p.m. in San Francisco, 85 degrees and clear. Chris, are you fading players that are facing the 49ers right now? This is a little bit difficult to unpack, but – For 2018 and 2019, they were a really good defense by DVOA, slipped a lot last year, but also had, you know, the highest adjusted games lost on defense and overall, and have looked a little bit better despite some injuries this year. I, I just don't really know what to make of them.
1: Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not too worried about it. I agree that I remember that Niners gear where they were just a beast, and Richard Sherman mm-hmm. was doing his thing. Now he's not on the team anymore. He's going to be a Bucks guy, so we'll see if that helps kind of prop up their defense yeah. more. For I'm sure, it'll be a deep run for them this year. But I have no issue taking this game. Like we, the Edge Sports total actually looks better uh, than the books total for targeting this game as one that should be pretty fruitful for fantasy. We have it at a 56 point line. Uh, the books have it as a 52 point line. So if you want to take that bet, too, not mm-hmm. a bad bet to take. But I think really the DFS portion is intriguing here because Tyler Lockett's coming off injury. I guess he twisted his knee in that game in addition to missing some practice time this week with a hip issue so maybe there is more of a target share going dk metcalf's way and and nothing you're terribly afraid of outside because scott mentioned the dvoa numbers for uh for San Francisco on the year giving up four percent more production than average and that's something that i think is going to benefit one of locketer or or, uh or dk metcalf out there so i have no fear about this one and if anything i think this game people will be flocking to that rams arizona game Maybe you go to the other two NFC West teams, and that's the one that really gets you something meaningful if you
0: are playing those afternoon tournaments in DFS. Plus, if Lockett ends up being injured, I mean, the 49ers cornerbacks are, like, really down. So Jason Barrett's out for the season, unsurprisingly. Josh Norman, he bruised his lung and was spitting up blood in the hospital, but somehow his day-to-day, like, I'll believe it if he plays. <laughs> K1 Williams is out for a few weeks with a calf injury. They're really thin there. And so, like, I mean, Metcalf is probably going to be good. And, like, honestly, I'm eyeing, I'm eyeing Will Disley. The tight end is an inexpensive option at $2,600. This is going to depend on whether or not Gerald Everett could come off the COVID reserve list, but he went on Wednesday. I think he probably won't play. That's just kind of me speculating there. And suddenly, Disley could be a really nice value. Just a 7.7% target share this season playing backseat to Everett. But as the main guy, he could be a really sneaky player right there. Do you feel the same way, Chris?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's really, you could talk me into a lot of different plays in this game, just because of the fact that it is a higher total than people are expecting and one where the ownership is not expected to be going there quite as much as another one. So I think really for me, just strategically and talking about some of the game theory that I talked about last time when I did the show with Scott and that Scott talks about a lot in his shows, like it's important to just sometimes find these games where if an edge sports line says it's going to be higher scoring and also mm-hmm. says that another game that everybody loves is going to be lower scoring. Like just yeah. take different pieces of it in different configurations. Do you know two-man stacks with Russell Wilson, do two-man stacks with Garoppolo, you know, try your Debo, try your AUK, especially if you have George Kittle out. Like I think there's a lot of ways here that this could be beneficial. So to me, it's just a matter of taking stabs in a lot of different ways and hoping that something, one of these, you know, kind of equations pans out in a way where you do outscore that game that everybody else is really gonna be flocking to.
0: So we have a question that's Bengals related. We're not talking about the Bengals because they played last night. No preview there, but I want to bring it up uh, and maybe get Derek's opinion about this. He asks, should he try and sell high on Tyler Boyd or hold him for now? Boyd had a really another nice day. And I think the angle here may be related to the fact that T Higgins has missed the last couple of games and is likely to play again in week five. But the reason that I'm not really willing to sell is that I've been really happy with what I've seen from Joe Burrow this season. I mean, I'm kind of stupid, but I feel like he's kind of the new Peyton Manning and feel like he could get the 35 touchdowns this season, but maybe we should get Derek's opinion about this. Like is Burrow taking the leap such that maybe you want to keep hold of all of his receivers from fantasy right now?
2: Um, I'm not going to go as far to say that he's close to Peyton Manning. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did I think you guys they're...
0: see my eyes on that
1: one? <laughs> That's a wild take by Scott, Somebody tweet I, that. I,
2: like I need some more followers. I, uh, I, I do think Burrow is playing well. Um, What I would say is I think that they've gotten largely favorable matchups in the sense of the biggest problem with that Cincinnati offense is obviously going to be who can get pressure on them. So far to the season, they haven't really played defenses that can do that. I don't think the Minnesota's front is really good at doing that right now. Um, The Pittsburgh front, when they played them, they were really down a bunch of pieces. And then obviously that Jaguars front, I mean, they're playing a couple of guys who aren't NFL players like Jihad Ward. I don't know how he's getting as many snaps as he is. Um, So I think they've gotten pretty lucky in that regard. At the same time, I think to your point, Joe Burrow does look really good. Um, he, he's one of the smarter quarterbacks in the league, especially for a young guy. He's incredibly accurate, so I would probably be willing to hold on to his receivers even when T. Higgins comes back because I think Boyd has looked really good and is probably their best guy for you know working in into those zones and stuff like that. I think he's probably their best um, you know security blanket from the wider wide receiver position. Whereas I think. Uh, Chase and Higgins are more guys who you can kind of push outside. They're really good on the boundary, really good in the red zone, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the the Peyton Manning context needs a little bit more context, I guess, but it's like, and I don't have a fully trained eye with this, but what I saw last night was that him – him sort of reading the, pers- the protections, changing plays based on what he's seeing defensively, that type of stuff at the line that I think could really help him avoid pressure when maybe they don't have the best pass-protecting offensive line on its own. So like that's the thing that's really encouraged me, and maybe that's the ticket to him getting hit less this season, even if the personnel around him isn't dramatically better. All right, let's, let's jump to the Ravens-Broncos game. Again, Sunday at 425 p.m. in Denver, 78 degrees and clear. Uh, Derek, what are your thoughts on the Broncos offense so far this season? They've rated in the top 10 in DVOA, just like the defense. And you actually wrote about this in film room. So I would love to get your perspective.
2: Yeah, I, I'm actually really excited for this Broncos offense, particularly the passing offense. I don't think their rushing offense has looked that good just because their offensive mm-hmm. line, I don't think gets particularly great movement. Um, they have a rookie running back who is talented, but has been a little hit and miss um, in terms of seeing stuff. So, But from the passing perspective, I think what they've done in terms of Game planning, their protection has been just phenomenal. Like they do not allow free rushers. They're really good at picking guys up, making sure they know um, who's getting picked up on stunts, uh, twists. If there's blitzes that, you you know, they didn't think they were getting that sort of stuff. I mean, they just with a smarter quarterback like Teddy back there, kind of like you were mentioning with Burrow, you know, being able to see that stuff and and sorting that stuff out. Um, Lloyd Cushenberry getting another year in the system. Mm -hmm. Mike Munchak obviously being their head coach or their uh, offensive line coach. And then two really smart running backs in terms of pass protection, like they have a really sound offensive unit in terms of uh, the passing offense that I think the floor is always going to be really high. We're probably just not going to get the ceiling that we've seen, you know, through this part in the season. I think they're like number four in passing uh, offense DVOA. That's not going to hold. And that's not saying that this offense is going to be bad. They're probably just going to fall closer down to like 12 to 14 by the end of the season. And I think that's going to be the case, especially now that they're kicking them into – a much tougher schedule than they've faced these past three or four weeks.
0: Yeah, so they've played the Giants, Jags, and Jets so far this season. They rank 20th, 30th, and 18th in past defense DVOA. And like past defense DVOA may not be the the end-all be-all this time of the year because a lot of their upcoming games, you know, guys like the the Ravens are 21st, the Steelers are 23rd. But I think we we probably assume that those guys are going to improve going forward in the preseason. We would have projected them to be better. So I agreed that the schedule could turn, and that could be a detriment here. But I think the matchup is actually really important this week from a DFS angle, because, you know, with with Marlon Humphrey maybe one of the best cover corners on the Ravens. I'm not really sure I want to go with Cortland Sutton this week. And that's why I think that Tim Patrick may be a sneaky option. He's forty nine hundred dollars in DraftKings. I think it's mildly underpriced at one hundred dollars. But like I would much rather play him than Sutton in this matchup, Um, although really there's probably not a lot of great offense in this game, Chris. I don't know if you feel any differently.
1: Now, I'm intrigued by Tim Patrick. I think he's been one guy, too, where I agree, like the attention kind of has to go Sutton's way, given that he's really been the guy that's uh, certainly had the outlier effort so mm-hmm. far this year. Teddy Bridgewater throwing downfield a lot more than I think anybody would have expected. And Tim Patrick's also been really good against man. And we do see a uh, Baltimore running man about half the time. And uh, Tim Patrick actually has getting targeted 32% of the time. He's running a route against man, also has 4.5 yards per route run, both positive things and have been better than Cortland Sutton so far this year. But I think the spot really to me, like Tim Patrick and on the other side, Marquise Brown who is a wild, wild disappointment for me against Detroit. Obviously, I think you saw some of the stuff on Twitter out there where he dropped 25 fantasy points worth of production in that game. He's still getting over 120 air yards per game from Lamar's throwing the ball downfield. So I think to me, Tim Patrick, Marquise Brown, two guys in this game that could have that really big tournament winning upside and people that apparently won't be played very much by the field based on the ownership projections that are out there.
0: Yeah, so I mean, Marquise Brown's target share is probably way higher than everybody realizes. Sammy Watkins is pretty high. The Ravens may get their rookie Rashad Bateman back this week, so their wide receivers are just much better than they've been in previous seasons. That ties into this question here from one of our users asking if it's okay that he's traded Mark Andrews for Kyle Pitts. I think we talked about Pitts and maybe that trending a little bit more positively. I'm actually okay with this trade because while Andrews I think probably is one of the more talented pass-catching tight ends in the league, you'd be surprised to see how much Lamar Jackson has decreased – Uh, his tight end target share this season throwing a lot more of his passes to wide receivers I think in response to the fact that the 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 options are just much better there than they've been in previous seasons so I think Andrews may be more just a guy kind of in the second tier this year Pitts gives you the higher upside in my mind I don't know if you feel the same way Derek
2: I think I probably would and again with this Falcons offense still not fully knowing what they want to do it might take a couple more weeks for that to really show itself you know for Pitts to really start getting those numbers but i think to your point especially when bateman comes back i don't think they're going to feel the need to force as many targets um to andrews as you know they have in the past hmm. um so I, I think you know to your point yeah when they get more options and they have like an actual wide receiver core whereas opposed to last year they really only had one guy who was like a competent nfl receiver and then they were thrown to a bunch of tight ends fullbacks and running backs i think now that they have a real wide receiver core andrews's targets are probably going to fall down a little bit, which I think makes sense because, I mean, he's a guy who can get open, but he does not catch the ball very consistently. Whereas I think with Bateman, that's not really going to be as much of an issue.
0: So hopefully hopefully he plays. They activated him from injured reserve this week, but he doesn't have to suit up for the next couple of weeks if he's not ready, but I'm fingers crossed. I'm hoping he plays. All right. A few more games to hit on the Steelers at Packers Sunday at 425. This is in green Bay, but 62 degrees, pretty good, but there's a 52% chance of rain. So keep an eye on that. Uh, Guys, this is a question for both of you, but Chris, maybe take it more from the running back angle. What do you make of the fact that Najee Harris had 19 targets last week and 104 receiving yards? Like, who- I mean, Ben doesn't want to
1: move. Like, he is a <laughs> literal statue back there. You could just plant bolts in his feet and keep him back there. And that's basically what it is. And I think that is definitely a benefit. Like we talked before about you know mobile QBs and how they have an impact on the running back. And that could be yeah. something with Justin Fields that hurts David Montgomery a little bit. It's the inverse here for Najee Harris, where he's getting that Jalen Samuel role in addition to the James Conner role of the last few years, where it's basically he's doing both functions rolled into one guy. And I think that's hard to kind of ignore that appeal like he had that amazing game and I, I don't think he got into the end zone last week and that was some, one that won people a million dollars like that's something that's really noteworthy here so going against Green Bay who defensively has not been looking as good this year is certainly give up big production I think you have to have a, a pretty close look at Najee Harris and and feel pretty good about the fact that this offense is just not doing anything that I think we would have expected it to do and, and getting the ball downfield especially is just not a priority it seems so far if that's going to be the case I, I don't think you expect 14 targets or whatever it was for for Najee last week but if he's Nine, getting eight 19. targets you understand <laughs> oh yeah 14 <laughs> catches right course my, my mistake sorry uh but if he's getting eight targets like or 10 like my god that's an amazing outlay for a running back so yeah Najee's looking great and is benefiting from Ben being literal Just he looked into the, the Sodom and Gomorrah and just turned <laughs> around and that was it and that's that turned into stone
0: so I think this is a bit of a trap. I know that I'm zagging where everyone else is digging here, but Deontay Johnson missed last week. I don't know if he's going to play this week, but I think it's a short-term injury. Juju Smith-Schuster left the game after 40% of snaps with a rib injury. He has a chance to play again this week. So like my perspective on this was like, what what were the Steelers going to do? I mean, they had Chase Claypool. They threw it to him 15 times. They had Harris. Those were maybe their two only like really plus options. But then, you know, they had to throw a lot. They were trailing. They threw five times to Pat Freer Like they were throwing to, to Ray Ray McLeod and Cody White. I, I don't know who Cody White is. Like, like what were they going to do? And so, like, my mind is if they have more of their pieces and this is a little bit healthier team, then he's not going to get that kind of absurd workload. I think he's probably overpriced because of it. But, Derek, I want to bring you in to give your thoughts on Roethlisberger, too, because maybe I'm just kind of missing this. And if Roethlisberger can't push the ball down the field at all, then maybe maybe it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, that, that 19 target workload is obviously like a matter of circumstance, like you said, with them having to try to shoot out in that game a little bit. Yeah. Um, they had some guys out, especially, you know, Juju missed like half that game or whatever. So he's never going to do that again. Um, but I think he's really comfortable catching the ball out of the backfield. And he's a really good at um, making guys miss in space for a guy his size. So I would kind of expect them to still want to push targets his way. Um I mean, he was a first-round pick for a reason. We, you know, running backs, first-round picks, whatever. But he's a really talented guy, and I think they're going to continue to give him touches, in part because what you mentioned, like, Ben just cannot and will not push the ball down the field. Um, he did a little bit late in, I think, the, the Bengals game, just because they were down, like, two scores, and if he didn't, he, he would have got cut on the spot. Um, but, like, they just don't have any other options right now, and I think that that's really all Ben is capable of is, Oh, the first guy I didn't see was open. I guess I'm just going to check it down because I can't really, I can't get to the backside of my read and throw that dig or whatever anymore because that's, that's just not even in the offense because they can't do it.
0: I'm still nervous enough. I, th- I have a little bit more optimism for the Steelers offense than I think most people do. So I'm going to go with a, a Packers option for DFS this week. Devontae Adams is just seven hundred in DraftKings. Like I think he should be way higher than that. Uh, as mentioned, he has the number two highest target share, 37.4%. Just a percentage point or so behind Brandon Cooks, but obviously a much better situation for his fantasy value. Uh, so I, I just like it really for that, for no other reason. Like I don't, I don't think this is a good matchup for him. Although the Steelers may be hurt, unclear if T.J. Watt or Alex Highsmith is going to play. But I just think the volume is going to be there. And while the Steelers are a really good defense at their best. They may be not equipped to stop number one receivers the way that, you know, teams like the Rams that have a really good cover corner are. So I think it it may be worse for like the quarterback in general or running back in general than it might be for Adams specifically. So I think he's a good option for you there. All right, let's move to the Sunday night game, the game that everybody wants to watch Tampa Bay Bucks at New England Patriots in New England, uh, 61 degrees, 66% chance of rain. That would kind of be a funny little wrinkle if it ended up raining in this game. Um, But Derek, for you, how do you think James White's likely seizing in hip injury could affect the other Patriots running backs? Because there are actually a lot of guys in play here, like Brandon Bolden, maybe he's the most direct skills comp he played last week, but you know, Damian Harris, six targets this year, just one fewer than all of last year, maybe seeing a little bit more work there. You've got JJ Taylor, kind of a Dion Lewis, small guy that may be pretty versatile. Ramonder Stevenson's been inactive every week, but presumably he would play now, right? Like there's a lot of guys in the mix here that maybe could have fantasy value. If not this week, then going forward.
2: It kind of just depends on like how bill Belichick wants to, to solve the problem. If he just wants to solve the problem by just, you know, cause James White was obviously their best pass catcher. If he just wants to take the rest of the running back room and just get them over the line as pass catchers, and then worry about the rest of the passing offense that way, I think that's probably where you're going to get more value out of like Harris. Um, maybe Brandon Bolden. I don't know about Brandon Bolden just because it seems like Bill Belichick's use of him is incredibly random and he'll just have these weeks where he does this twice a year and then just doesn't show up again. Sure. So yeah, I'm not too too bullish on him in particular. I guess if they want to solve the problem by getting a guy that is as close to what James White can provide, it's going to be J.J. Taylor, a guy who doesn't really run between the tackles very well, but he can provide some explosive plays. He can be a guy you throw out into the fly into on swing routes and stuff. So um, I, I don't think he's going to be as effective as James White. Obviously that's why James White was playing, but yeah. that's probably their closest one-to-one fix, but I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard for me to get a gauge on what this Patriots offense is going to do. Cause it just doesn't seem like they really have any answers for anything right now.
0: Yeah. Honestly, I'm confused too. Cause like I would have felt that Taylor would have been the guy, but then last week Bolden played 46% of snaps versus just 14% for JJ Taylor. I don't know. Like I would like a piece of the Patriots receiving backfield this week, because again, the Bucs are the number one DV run defense last year. They decreased run plays by 33% third most in football and they increased pass plays. So I feel like not a great week to start Damian Harrison fantasy, but maybe one of these other guys could get like seven or eight targets, but I'm not sure I have confidence that it's Bolden or Taylor. Chris, do you have any thoughts on the matter?
1: I think they're just going to be both fractional amounts of what James White as we saw Brandon mm. Bolden as you guys mentioned gets more snaps he's been running more routes per game as well yeah. I think they're like to me I would say Bolden's probably the 55% uh, James White equivalency and then Taylor's probably the 45% and that could certainly move around a little bit based upon Belichick's whims as we know from yeah. um, anything over the last 20 years so I think that's something <laughs> to keep in mind there but I don't know like, I think to me the beneficiary is probably because White was getting the ball so much I think it's just going to be that Mac Jones has to push the ball downfield more and we kind of saw that last week with both and And Jacoby Myers over 175 air yards. And this spot against Tampa Bay, we know that's what teams have tried to do. They basically abandoned the run and they just tried to get the ball Mm -hmm. downfield. So I'm expecting here that somebody can have that outlier day. I don't know if I quite expect it to be funneled fully through Aguilar and yeah. Jacoby Myers moving forward. But I think these guys, um, you know, Mac Jones, 50 attempts in a game, like that's kind of where it has to be. I think for them to have a shot to win this one, unless you know, uh, Belichick has one last thing here where he can somehow get into Tom Brady's brain, maybe hug him before the game and get him psyched out. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't know the Patriots hang in this one.
0: Or unless it rains. Everybody yeah. keep an eye on the forecast on Sunday, because that could be a thing that torpedoes all of your bucks plays. Just keep that in mind. All right, one more game to hit the Las Vegas Raiders at the Los Angeles Chargers Monday night, eight fifteen. Really fun Monday night game. This is in the dome in L.A. Um, I didn't realize they were doing back-to-back games in SoFi Stadium, right? Because they're doing that on Sunday and Monday. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, but the major storyline for me. Let's start with you, Chris. What do you think of Justin Herbert? Where do you rank him in fantasy right now? I've been bullish on him this whole time, but I'm wondering if I've kind of if I've been a little bit too starry-eyed here. A pretty good start to his fantasy season. Just beat the Chiefs.
1: Yeah, I think it's hard to kind of argue with Justin Herbert. And I think, too, the fact that, you know, coming in with a new offensive coordinator, they've definitely started to really emphasize Mike Williams as being the 1A or 1B, I guess mm-hmm. maybe you could say to Keenan Allen, but I think more the 1A. And he's always been that guy. He's a big body guy, can get downfield, can also get those hard fought red zone and end zone targets. So that's a benefit to me for Justin Herbert. And the fact he still has weapons behind him, we're starting to see with some of the young guys, as well as having Jared Cook, still having Donald Parham there. Like there's a lot of guys he can go to. And, and obviously, Austin Eckler, who I'm leaving out here because he's kind of was a forgotten part of the pass game early on. Now we're starting to see that uptick. There's a lot of places you can go. So I have no issue with Justin Herbert. I think he's got all the wealth of everything at his fingertips. And we also know that on the other side, Derek Carr can keep up, even uh-huh. though it always seems like, wow, this is going to be the day where the Raiders fall apart and they just don't get there time and time again, he finds ways to just, you know, pass to whomever's out there, hopefully more Darren Waller. But I think really overall, It's a spot that I expect this game to kind of have some more scoring in the edge sports line here, 57 over under compared to 51.5 for the book. So I think Scott, your faith in Justin Herbert maybe paid off at least one more week in a big way.
0: We're hopeful. So my true talent quarterback rankings now go Mahomes, Josh Allen, Murray, Brady. Herbert is fifth. And I have him ahead of Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Hurts, and then Rodgers. Where's Peyton Manning Joe Burrow?
2: <laughs> probably yeah, <laughs>
0: el- probably 11th. I don't have him listed right here, but like probably pretty close. It hurts me that he doesn't run, but I mean, it, it kind of hurts that Herbert doesn't run. But I just feel like the 40 touchdown season is, is a strong possibility here. And like, while I love, love, love Mike Williams and, and was riding him a lot to start the season, his prices are coming up a lot. In the DFS platforms. So I would say maybe Zag and play Keenan Allen this week. He's just 6,800 in DraftKings. That seems too low. His 27% target share this season is 13th among wide receivers, but it's right at what it was last year, 26.8%. So while Williams has kind of risen to to kind of get close to him there, Allen's getting as much work as he's always gotten and is a very consistent option. I think could be a really good option against the Raiders, especially if they have success with their pass rush, something you might expect given given the Chargers, you know, I mean, their offensive line is better, but I guess we'll see there. Now we did get a trade question that is kind of relevant to this game. uh, One of our watchers on YouTube asked, can he trade Logan Thomas and get Kareem Hunt in fantasy? Critical piece of of info here is that he has Darren Waller. I would say if you have Darren Waller, you can always get rid of every other tight end on your roster. You only need one for your bye weeks. So absolutely trade Logan Thomas for anybody that you could potentially start in fantasy. I think that's a no brainer. Do you guys feel the same way?
1: Yeah, I agree. Waller. Yeah. Well, like you don't need that second tight end. So get whatever you can and cream hunt. I think live every week. So it's kind of take just enough away from Nick Chubb to be useful. So I like that. Plus the long.
0: handcuff potential there, like could yeah. end up being a really valuable starter for you down the line. Absolutely. Go for it. Well, I and mean, it's been great for everybody watching live on YouTube, on the football outsiders page. We've had a lot of great questions. Keep those coming every week. Again, we're going to be Monday through Friday live on YouTube at 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. I'm doing fantasy shows on Tuesday with Derek every week, doing waiver Wire every Friday with various guests, including probably Spags and and Derek from time to time as well. So you'll check us out there, but you'll also be able to hear Aaron Schatz, Mike Tanier, and and all the other guys breaking down all the other stuff, non-fantasy related, every day of the week. So we really love to have you. Check us out there. Check us out after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Guys, thanks. I mean, this has been tremendous. Uh, Chris and Derek, do you have anything that you want to, plug is coming up. I know, Chris, definitely talk about your, your uh, show on, on DFS stuff, Splash Plays.
1: Yeah, Splash Play is coming up in actually about 25 minutes. We'll be going live. It'll be me, Peter Overzet, if you're familiar with him. A comedy guy who's also very sharp in the DFS space and also Sal Vetri, a big uh, YouTube personality who's also going nuts on TikTok, doing all the things that that Scott and I are not cool enough to do mm-hmm. on TikTok. And you know, Derek may be cool enough to do it, so I don't want to throw I don't <laughs> Derek, it. I think us. Derek could pull it off. <laughs> yeah, but follow us at Splash Play Pods. So you can see whenever we're doing shows because sometimes getting the fantasy here from, from Scott and Derek isn't enough for you. There's always more room to talk about fantasy embedding. That's what we do over at Splash Play. So so come check us out come hang out
2: yeah you know as for the TikTok stuff i think i'm uh, I, i'm older at heart i think i'm a little bit closer to you guys in that respect <laughs> um so i don't know if we're gonna get any of that content out of me but um other than that i don't think i have anything too crazy coming up other than my uh, you know normal stuff um you can check out some of my other betting stuff at Ozchecker. Um, obviously I wrote the, like Scott mentioned, I wrote a film room on Teddy Bridgewater and the Broncos offense this week. You guys can check out at football outsiders. So that's about it for me. And just, uh, keep watching all the shows we have this week. Yeah.
0: Everybody watch all of that. And also cheer on the Panthers this week. Need the big win. (laughs) So Mike Tanier has to wear a, as what he would call it, a a Panthers beanie. We call them toboggans down South. That's just kind of how we roll, but fingers crossed the Panthers can pull that one out. Thanks so much for everybody that watched and listened. We'll catch you next week for, for all the, the week four recap and week five goodies. Talk to you guys then.